Hello, you're listening to History and Hope, a Baptist perspective on history, culture, and theology. I'm Mark West. I'm Matthew Lyon. And today our topic is a listener objection to our episode on whiteness. Yeah, so we got an email from a guy who I actually know personally, or I met one time and talked to him for a little bit. He lives in the, say, Southwest. Very politely worded letter, email, would you say? Yeah. It was, it was nicely stated. Disagreeing with what we said in our episode on whiteness, which was episode, what, like 20 or something? Uh, I'd have to look it up. And he has basically about seven objections. So I thought it'd be helpful for him and for us and for our listeners. Because I, I, they seem pretty standard, don't you think? It, they're, they're objections that I would have anticipated hearing. Yeah, which means a lot of people have these objections and probably a lot of our listeners so kind of given our response to them, we'll help everybody. So it's uh, it's obviously a hot topic and controversial. But doesn't mean we can't talk about it. So the question might be, how does this relate to Baptist history? But I think it relates directly, given as a leader of the civil rights movement, we're Baptist. And many of the people complicit in the problems we talked about in whiteness were also Baptist more later than more recent. Uh, and then also, it's also how our Baptist faith can deal with these things. Like, does the Baptist tradition give you a, give, does it give you tools to answer these big questions about race, about politics, about culture? And I think it does. I think both of us do. Okay, let's jump into it. Number one. So I'm going to give my summary, and then I'll maybe read some of the choice quotes from him. So, number one, he says, basically only the South was systemically racist. And what systemically, he says, uh, let's see, is it really fair to say that all of American history and its establishments have been with whiteness in mind? Is it not more accurate to say that in the South, these laws were created and enforced, but not in the whole of America? So basically the South, everyone knows they were racist, but all of us out West, North, East Coast, we're not racist. That's just a, that's a Southern problem. We actually have people could come from the South who feel very sensitive about that, mm-hmm. that the North is judging them because yeah. they're the racist ones. Uh, and I think it's uh, the obvious reason is because, you know, most of the lynchings were in the South. Jim Crow laws were in the South. But from a bigger perspective, when we talk about, I think our whiteness episode, it wasn't just the last 100 years. It was American history. It was a general history of America. So when you say that only the South had laws, well, if you're talking about the majority of American history, that's not true. Slavery was legal in the North until, I don't remember when, but 1800s, uh, they were still bringing in slaves. You couldn't you couldn't marry cross races in the North. So maybe in the 20th century, there were more obvious laws in the South, but for the majority of American history, the North had racist laws, racist systems. Uh, Just because you weren't a slave in the North after say, I don't remember actually when, when they banned it in the North, 1820 or maybe, but Oh, for instance, uh, the Fugitive Slave Law. Do you know when that was off the top of your head? Nope. 
1850. Fugitive Slave Law, 1850, where it was legal to chase your, your runaway slaves into the north, and the northern people had to get, hand them over. And I think judges were incentivized financially to send slaves back south. Okay, so that's 1850. Um, that's well into American history. That's a federal law. But then if many people say, well, that was the ancient past, which I disagree. But current history, in mid-1900s, the government created the Homeowners Loan Committee, where they would buy back properties to help the homeowners. But they'd only buy back certain properties. And guess what the division was? So the, the government, the federal government had these, had these neighborhoods and the neighborhoods with homes they wanted to buy back, white neighborhoods, they put green circles around. Neighborhoods they were high risk, black neighborhoods, they put red circles. And so it's what we call redlining. And so they created red lines around black neighborhoods where they wouldn't help them with financial, with federal funds. That was federal discrimination, which continued long after that, creating in some ways creating the ghettos as we know them because they were, the housing was segregated. So, so that's a law that was everywhere. It's Baltimore. In fact, a pastor, I know Joe Kerr's, his church office sits on the road in Baltimore that was the red line. And so he points like this side of the street was where the black people live. And this side of the street is where the white people live. And this street that we're on is the dividing line. What well, that was the government that made those lines. And that was in the 1900s. So that's one law that was in the North. Uh, secondly, here's just an example of sometimes it doesn't need to be a law to be a problem. When so Martin Luther King goes south, Selma, Alabama, Montgomery leads these marches. We know that how he was attacked and dogs set on him. And we think, wow, the south is terrible. Well, he goes to in the 60s, he goes to Chicago. Not long before he was killed to work on housing discrimination. And so he has a march in Chicago. And as he's marching, people are out there with signs, with racial slurs and threatening things. Uh, at one point, someone threw a rock and hit him in the head and, like, knocked him to his feet, which, I mean, knocked him to his knees, which you got to be hit with a rock pretty hard to knock you down. <laughs> and later that night, he said that he had never seen hate in America like he saw in Chicago. He goes, the South was better than this. So... That's coming from the guy who was threatened to be killed and eventually was killed in the South. He said the racist and the white racists in Chicago were worse than the South. So it's a cop out to say, because we live in Maryland, that the racial problem is down in Alabama. And that's just a way to get out of it and make yourself um, exempt from the problem. But uh, America was run by white people explicitly until what? The 60s? at least yeah. um, explicitly, like by law. So that was everywhere. That was New York. That was Maine. That was Montana. Um, so we can't just blame the South for all our problems. Yeah. And then talk about, is it fair to say that all of American history and its establishment has been with whiteness in mind? I mean, if you look at the constitution, the establishing document, it has provisions to make slave states powerful. Right. Which you can say yeah. that it's a compromise to make sure that a union would happen, but should we be compromising over slavery? <laughs> you're still, yeah, you're still upholding it. I mean, right. and it shows land, that sla because they had to compromise over it, slavery was a crucial part of America as it was then. 
Mm-hmm. And there were no black men making those decisions, much less black women. Even white women didn't get the vote until 1920. Uh, so yeah, whiteness, um, it was, it was woven through everything. Now that is, that's not saying that every single thing that happened in America was a plan to keep white people in power. That's a reductionist argument. The point was that whiteness pervades everything. And that for the, for the large majority of American history, it was a dominating feature that was taken into account in everything. Uh, not just the South. You know, it was illegal for black people to go settle land out in the Northwest for a long time. They weren't allowed to go out there. Uh, whenever it was getting free land, you had to be white. Um, yeah, riots in, in New York and St. Louis and L.A. Like, this is not this is not a Southern problem alone. So anyway, that, those are, it, the GI Bill, one of the greatest affirmative action uh, government actions for white people. So the GI Bill, federal bill, a whole nation would give you cheap home loans so you could buy a house and create wealth, uh, but only if you're white. They would they denied almost all black home loans. So this is after World War II. So we're talking the 50s. Uh, anywhere in America, if you were black, the GI Bill would would not really help you buy a house, but it would help all the white people. Okay, so you can't blame that on Mississippi. That's from the top down. Uh, okay, so that that's one thing. This, you can't blame the South. It's everywhere. It may be worse in the South in some ways, but it's present in the North, too. And it only got better in the North, you know, towards the end of right, the century. The second rise of the KKK was definitely not limited to the South. Yep. So when the KKK was, the KKK basically went away during Reconstruction and in the early 1900s came back. And some of the largest sections of the KKK were in the north. Yep. Uh, Indiana, where I lived, I, I, mean, I haven't looked it up recently. I think every single county in, in Indiana had, a, had KKK members. And I think it was the largest concentration of KKK members in the country. Um, so Indiana is not the south. Uh, so anyway... Um, Okay, second objection. He said, so he basically says some founders did not agree on slavery, but compromised to maintain unity and hope for abolition, which is what you mentioned. Uh, he said, not all the founding fathers agreed on slavery, which is a fact, nor the treatment of them, which is a fact. But in order to create any unity, there were compromises uh, made with the hope that down the road it would be made right. All of that's true. It's a true statement. But. Our listeners would not be okay with compromises being made with Planned Parenthood with the hope that it would be defunded later. It's like, well, human trafficking is a big problem in America, but we need to make some concessions with human traffickers in order to do... There's no in order to do anything. So why was it okay for some of our founding fathers to compromise with slave owners? I think what this gets to is a lot of people don't think slavery was that bad. Like they think I, it was wrong, but it wasn't that bad. Yeah. I don't, I don't think how, I don't think you can use this argument unless you downplay how bad slavery is. Right. Yeah. This argument works with minor things, but we've been raised and I'm speaking to white conservatives with slavery was bad. 
but they were better off here than in Africa. They were treated mostly well. There were some bad apples, right? Bad slave owners, but mostly they were treated well. And then they got their freedom and everything worked out and they became Christians, which is exactly what white slave owners would want you to think after they lost their slaves in a war and wanted to be in charge still. In reality, slavery was horrible, more horrible than we can imagine. Families were systemically separated. Women were systemically raped in order to create financial funds through their children. Um, why do you think black people are lighter skinned than Africans? It's because they were raped. Why does Kamala Harris have a white slave owner as her ancestor in Jamaica? What? It was because he raped his slaves. That was the way things were done because you got more slaves for free and they weren't freed. Uh, so that happened. They were beaten regularly. They were, um, you know, George Washington's teeth. Do you hear about this? Yeah. They, they were, we were, I was raised there. They were made out of wood, right? His wooden teeth. Yeah. It turns out they were made out of slaves' teeth. They would force slaves to sell their teeth to make white people dentures. Okay. You don't compromise with that sort of thing. Um, families were split up. Even when, so when emancipation came, you'd, you'd find, Black people searching the country to, to reunite with their family had been separated, which was practically impossible, and they never mm-hmm. did. The psychological things that, that happened, the death toll, uh, also, uh, don't watch Gone with the Wind. That's not going to tell you what, that's what a bunch of Southerners put together to make themselves feel better. The myth of the happy black person, that's an actual racial myth that the happy black person is a, is a race, racist myth. Um, it's, it's, if there were black people who appear to be happy, it was a survival technique so they wouldn't be killed, lynched, enslaved, beat, whatever. So when you read the actual accounts of slaves themselves, read Frederick Douglass, who saw it firsthand and had no reason to protect it. Slavery was horrible. Absolutely horrible. And so when you compromise with evil at that level, you are evil. You, you make a deal with the devil, you're on the devil's side. Yeah, well, they were trading something that they... Th- it, it's almost worse, right? Because they admit and acknowledge it's wrong. Right. But right. they were willing to say, it's bad, it's an evil, it's wrong. But I'd rather yeah. have this political and economic power that this new nation can bring and freedom yep. for me and my and people like me is better right. than fighting over this admitted evil for other people yeah so they knew it was a moral evil and yet still enabled it to exist protected it so that they could have financial freedom economic freedom political freedom that's no defense of america that's our founding fathers did some great things that wasn't one of them george washington did some great things compromising with slave owners was not one of them Uh, better to be a citizen of britain than to support slavery. Um, because better to be a moral person who doesn't have as much money or political freedom than to be an immoral person with those things. Uh, yeah, so uh, the next thing, not everyone in the South supported slavery. Okay, so I think in, the, in that episode I said by 1850, every person on record in the South supported slavery. I, I did... I did uh, make you qualify yes. that statement. Though. I did on record. <laughs> so, so everyone we know about. Yeah. So you're right. Um, and that was because the abolition, mo- abolition movement had divided the country. So any 
abolitionists in the South went north. Okay, so he says not everyone in the South supported slavery. Lee, for example. So not everybody in the South believed in slavery. In fact, Robert E. Lee, the Confederate general, was an abolitionist, but differed with the Union on how to bring about the freedom of slaves. Um, okay, so that's using abolitionists in a very broad sense. It is true that Robert E. Lee thought slavery was a moral evil that needed to go away. That's not what it quali- that's not what qualifies you as an abolitionist. Because Robert E. Lee also, to use him for an example, since he seems, you know, to be I know I was raised to think he was a great person. <laughs> he owned slaves. And he beat his slaves. And in fact, there's one story where some of his slaves, I can't remember what they did wrong. It doesn't really matter because when you're a slave, the morals, you don't have, you can do whatever you want and still be right. He catches five slaves and has them beaten. Well, the person beating him wears out. So he has the guy standing nearby. So this is Robert e. Lee says to the man, this new guy, you do it now and lay it on them well. Does that sound like someone who's against slavery, who personally instructs someone to beat someone else who's a slave and to make it hurt? And I also heard that they poured salt water on it, on the wounds, to make it burn. Uh, he said in a letter, he said that it's a moral evil, but it's a necessary, it's necessary for the uh, education and instruction of the black race. So he was against it, but he also said it was necessary. Because basically, black people were not able to live on their own. He even goes as far as to say that uh, it's an evil, but it's more evil for white people <laughs> than for black people. And then he says that the best relationship of blacks and whites is master and slave. Okay, so you can, he, he did say it was evil, but then he said all that stuff. Which is like me saying, I think drugs are wrong. No one should do drugs. And then I take a hit of cocaine. Like, am I against drugs? Well, if you're taking bumps off the white lady and then you're saying that it's wrong, no, you support slavery. So Lee supported slavery. He may have given some lip service to it, but he financially benefited off of it. During the war, slaves traveled with him, took care of him during the fighting. He, um, he rented them out on a regular basis, so he profited off of slavery. And... He basically talked out of both sides of his mouth and lined his pocket with, with the slave institution. So, no, he was not a hero. He was a not an abolitionist. He was a hypocrite. And he was a slave owner. And he, if he's the best evidence that everybody in the South did not support slavery, everybody in the South supported slavery. So some people, but that was a common, that was, it was common for people in the South to say things like, one day slavery needs to go away. But not today. That's supporting. If you if you if you don't try to end it right then, you're complicit and evil that great. Uh, but he's a hero to many, and this is why the history matters. It's not the distant past when you bring it into the present. When Robert e. Lee is still raised up as a leader and as a as a hero, I got a book on my shelf, Leadership Principles from Robert e. Lee. That means that you have to either own or disown who he was, and if you don't disown who he was then you're complicit too. If he supported slavery and you support him, then you would have supported slavery. So that's why it's important to deal with these historical figures and recognize them for who they are. 
Uh, so anyway, um, okay, so that's three. This is a good one. This one's much more recent. Number four, personal responsibility instead of playing the victim is key to overcoming. This may be one of the most prominent criticisms of social justice or whatever. Victim mentality. The victim mentality says, I don't believe the answer for, the answer for us is to play the victim. In fact, the very opposite. We should be overcomers. The only way to overcome is to take personal responsibility for your actions. Should you take personal responsibility for your actions? Of course. Absolutely. If you do something, you should own it. Um, if you make a mistake, you should admit you made a mistake. If you sinned, you should repent. Is that what we're talking about? Is that what whiteness is? It's telling black people that it's that they don't need to own their personal decisions. No, of course not. So he says the only way to overcome is take personal responsibility for your actions. Overcome what? Slavery? Did slavery exist because black people wouldn't take responsibility for their actions? Did Jim Crow exist until the 1960s because black people wouldn't take responsibility for their actions? Of course not. So playing the victim assumes that you're not the victim. When in the Bible, there's Jesus gives a parable about a woman who had been wronged. And she goes to the judge to get justice. And the judge wouldn't listen to her. And she kept on going back and she persisted. It's a, she was using an illustration. Was she playing the victim? No, she was the victim. She was a victim of an injustice and she went to the judge to right the wrong. That's what the Bible is about. You go back to the Old Testament and people had judges set up to vindicate those who'd been made a victim. Uh, what is the great white throne judgment if not vindication of victims? The blood of the martyrs cries out from the throne, from underneath the, the altar in heaven. What are they crying out for? Justice. Does God say to those martyrs, stop playing the victim? You just need to take personal responsibility? Of course not. It wasn't their fault that they were killed. So the real question is not, is someone playing the victim? It's, are you a victim? So are black people victimized by other people? Well, one example, I think, yes, the answer is yes. One example is sentencing disparities. So it, there's like a 20% difference in sentencing for a white person and a black person. Same crime, same history. You, If you're white, you get, what is it? I'm trying to do the percentage in my head now. You get eight years. If you're black, you get 10 years. Who's the victim? If a black person says, hey, I shouldn't be getting more time than a white person. There's no difference between white and black. Is he playing the victim? No, he's saying there's there's an injustice here and I'm the victim of it. What this is, is this is a way that whiteness excuses itself by putting all the emphasis, all the guilt on the black person. In fact, I think you can identify anti-black arguments because they always tell the black people to take responsibility. Take responsibility for what? Something the government did? Should black people take responsibility for the GI Bill? Of course not. This is a way to make white people innocent and black people guilty. And when you do that, so as a white man, that, that sounds great because now I'm not responsible anymore. 
and it's all those black people, if they just do the right thing, there wouldn't be a problem. Um, and that's wrong. Yeah. And it's not true. Yeah, and it also, people use leaders speaking inside their community on how to live within the system that current, how to best survive the system as it currently is. And they mm. weaponize it against them. The CC it's your fault. If you just listened to that leader and did all those things, you'd be fine. Right. Right. So yeah. So you're in a system that victimizes you and your own leaders tell you, here's how you survive in that system. Right. People outside of your community who are victimizing you or benefiting from it will weaponize them. Um, They'll blame it on fatherlessness, right? The problem with the black community is fatherlessness. And then they'll bring up some black preacher who's preaching to his own people, telling them to be better fathers and say, see, no admission that the war on drugs started by white people to the benefit of white people has led to a large number of fathers being thrown in jail. You know, the CIA was bringing in drugs. That was white people bringing in drugs. I, I read that the CIA did a study on that, and they said that they didn't find any evidence that they did that. Oh, well, I retract my statement. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. The CIA investigated themselves and found no wrongdoing. Yeah, the CIA, the America's spy agency, can be trusted <laughs> for their spy activity. Yeah, so, Amer- so the government was importing drugs, distributing drugs. And now you want to blame the guy on the street corner? Because he won't take personal responsibility for what the government started. Um, yeah, this argument is a way to excuse yourself. It's an excuse. It's a way to wash your hands of the problem. It's actually, speaking of wash your hands, it's Pontius Pilate. This is exactly what Pontius Pilate did, which is why it's so evil. Pontius Pilate was in charge, but he went out to the Jews and he said, what do you want to do? And, he, and they said, we want him killed. And he says, okay, it's not my choice. It's their choice. I wash my hands of this. Blood is on your hands. Except it wasn't on their hands. Well, it was on their hands too, because they supported it. But it's whoever caused it. And black people didn't choose to have over-policing in their communities. Um, so that they had a higher rate of surveillance, so that they would be incarcerated more. They didn't choose to pass the three strikes um, bill. They didn't choose to bring drugs into America. They didn't choose. I got. I know somebody who has witnessed police dropping bags of guns in an alley, unmarked guns, dumping them in the street corner. Okay, community didn't choose to do that. So, playing the victim is an excuse to wash your hands of any responsibility, and using a few black voices to do that is also wrong. That's called tokenization. You take a black voice and you use them against black people. Candace Owens is the one he mentioned specifically. Candace Owens is supporting the white establishment by blaming everything on black people. That's what she says. She said it's all black people's fault. Isn't that the whole point of racism? The whole point of racism was to say there's something wrong with black people. The history of racism from the 1400s, the 1500s, was to say... It's okay to treat black people a certain way differently because there's something wrong with them. They are name the, the myth that was created. And now that's being regurgitated. Now they're playing the victims. They're not as moral. They're not as hardworking. They are, uh, they're, they're too, um, naive. They're being misled. Well, that's a racist trope that goes back hundreds of years is that black people are like children. 
a lot of white people don't know American history, so they think they're being original when they're just repeating stuff that slave owners repeated 300 years ago. And the black person as a child who needs a parent is exactly what Robert E. Lee said. They need slavery because they're too childlike. He literally said childlike. And so now what, what people are saying now is they're being misled by their leaders, like children. Well, that's racist. Thank you for listening. Part two will be released next week with the rest of the objections that were raised in the email. If you have any questions, you can email us at podcast at historyandhope.com or message us on Twitter at historyandhope. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or any podcast app of your choice. 